0: From Real FM, this is Downstream, a podcast about the present and future of streaming media. This is episode number 52, recorded September 7th, 2023. And it's brought to you by our sponsor, Electric. I am your master of ceremonies, Jason Snell. And with me, as always, is Julia Alexander, Director of Strategy at Parrot Analytics. Julia, hello. Jason, hi. How are you? I'm doing great. Are you ready for some football? I am so excited! Like I, am
1: literally wearing a New Orleans Saints shirt, even though Alvin Kamara <laughs> is out for three games. I'm so excited!
0: It is the opening of uh, the biggest TV program on uh, in the U.S., which is the NFL season, and we um, appropriately are going to release the much-promoted All Sports Corner episode. <laughs> sports corner the whole thing is just going to be sports corner um so we're going to get started in a, in a minute but before we do that um as everybody here at Relay FM is making all of our listeners aware September is childhood cancer awareness month Relay FM has a campaign for St. Jude since our first campaign in 2019 Relay FM has raised over $2.2 million as a community. With your help again this year, we know we can surpass $2.5 million. Help us get there. St. Jude won't stop their life-saving work until no child dies from cancer. With your support, we'll be one step closer to that day, one cure closer, one child closer. It's estimated more than 400,000 children worldwide develop cancer each year. Nearly half of them are never diagnosed. In the U.S., more than four out of five children survive cancer. But in many developing countries, the statistic is reversed. Fewer than one out of five survive. The most significant predictor of whether a child will survive cancer is where the child lives. That's why in March 2018, St. Jude became the first and only World Health Organization collaborating center for childhood cancer. The goal of the WHO, Global Initiative for Childhood Cancer, to raise the survival rate of six common childhood cancers by 60% or to 60% by 2030. You can read much more about the global work of St. Jude at global.stjude.org. We are so grateful to everybody in our community over the last five years. We would love your support again to support the life-saving mission of St. Jude. The fifth annual podcast-a-thon is fast approaching. It's live on Friday, September 22nd. Mike and Stephen and Kathy and me. Uh, all will be live for 12 hours, 12 p.m. to 12 a.m. Eastern. We need your help to raise as much money as possible for St. Jude before then as well. Donors who make an individual gift of $60 or more will get a digital bundle of Relay FM wallpapers and screensavers. Last year's screensaver was amazing. Do not miss out. Donors who make an individual gift of $100 or more will receive our 2023 sticker pack featuring all new. Designs. And when you donate, click the blue search employer button on the donation summary page to see if your employer offers a matching gift program. If they do, you'll get an email with details about how the match credited to our campaign. And if you want to get more hands on, you can even start your own campaign. If you raise at least $1, you will get a special face off edition of the Relay FM for St. Jude Challenge coin. And fundraisers making $250 or more will also receive this year's incredible desk mat. And the top 50 fundraisers at the end of the campaign will get a limited edition Relay FM for St. Jude tote bag in an all-weather material with laptop sleeve. And there may be a surprise in there, too. Amazing. So many different ways. Go to stjude.org slash Relay to donate and find out more. That's stjude.org slash Relay to learn more and donate. St. Jude won't stop until no child dies from cancer. With your support, we'll be one step closer to that day, one cure closer, one child closer. This month and every month and any month, let's cure childhood cancer together. Thank you for listening. Um, Let's talk about, okay, Sports Corner. The reason we're doing Sports Corner now and not in another time is, I think, potentially one of the biggest stories of the digital transition the streaming transition for television. And it's a carriage dispute, which is so boring. It's when, you know, the people who have channels and people who are have, have their cable or satellite systems and they dispute who's going to pay who and things go off, channels go off, but only for a little bit and then they come back and everybody says, "Okay, we made a deal." And it's like a strike for uh for for the content. It's like when the studios go on strike instead of the people working for the studios. However, Julia Disney and Charter, a lot of people are feeling like this is a more meaningful battle. Between them, Disney has pulled its channels off of Charter cable systems. Charter CEO Chris Winfrey said, We are at the edge of a precipice. We're either moving forward with a new collaborative video model or we're moving on. An analyst at Moffat Nathanson wrote, Charter seems genuinely willing to walk away from Disney and even the entire linear video model lucas shot bloomberg wrote despite the bluster disney collects more than two billion dollars a year from charter so it's not likely to walk away and charter needs a cable package that includes monday night football and the nba finals to say nothing of all that college football we'll see who blinks first but the question here is is this the moment where one of these cable providers who is also an internet provider says as charter has at least negotiating wise said we don't care so much About the video piece of our business, because if people cut the cord, we're still providing them with the internet. What they want is Disney to make them a deal where they pay a little bit less or they get access for all their subscribers to the Disney Plus ad tier. But I don't know. What do you think? Let's start at the top. Do you think that this moment has the potential to be a pivotal moment, or is this just more carriage dispute nonsense?
1: I think the answer will come as of Sunday night, Monday morning, if not before then. But the reason I say that is, as it stands right now, the U.S. Open is being blocked for tens of millions of Charter Spectrum subscribers, and that really sucks for a lot of people who are both casual tennis fans and also hardcore tennis fans who want to tune into the men's uh, finals. But also, come Sunday night, Monday morning... If we don't have an answer, that means that the opening the first ever Monday Night Football, which is also the New York Jets opener with Aaron Rodgers against the Buffalo Bills with, of course, Josh Allen, who's everyone's go to first pick for quarterback in fantasy football leagues. They don't have it by then. That's a really big game to miss out on. That's going to send those tens of millions of customers sent to YouTube TV or to piracy routes. And so I think by then we'll have a pretty clear answer about whether this is, you know, Kind of a typical carriage deal, in which case we'll see both sides come and compromise in some capacity, or if this is really a question of Disney willing to walk away. I think one of the most under and one of the most under talked about aspects of this conversation is that if we look to about a month, month and a half ago, you know, Bob Iger, who's the CEO of Disney, of course, brought in Kevin Mayer and Tom Staggs, who were his former deputies over at Disney, who then left to go launch Candle Media, are now being brought back in to oversee the strategy for ESPN and for a lot of what they're doing with the linear channels. And so the big question here is, you know, what do Staggs and Mayer see? Is there a potential to convert you know, 20, 30, 40% of that audience into an ESPN OTT service, in which case you might not necessarily need uh, charter. If you can have that conversion happen that quickly, um, is this a is this a a uh, a standoff in which Disney thinks that Charter is more unwilling to walk away from the video business as it looks at its wireless and its broadband? Broadband currently has higher profit margins. Wireless has the potential to have higher profit margins. This is also Comcast big play. You know, another aspect of this conversation that really we should be talking about is the idea that Zumo which is a streaming service we don't talk too much about. It's kind of a, uh, an aggregator of streaming services that's co owned by Charter, uh, Charter Communications, which of course is Spectrum and Comcast. It kind of carries a bunch of streaming services. It is distributed on Flex devices, which are owned by Comcast, which get sent to out. I think it's about 63 million homes last time I checked, not of which are all using it, of course, but that it is available. And so there's this idea of are they willing to say, okay, Disney can be removed? from this platform because we're looking at Flex and maybe ESPN OTT can be offered within this new Aggregation, kind of combined system, where we all take some form of profit participation in, um, in order to kind of keep this idea of a video bundle going. But it's really happening over broadband and wireless, which we see higher margins for. You know, that's another question that could be happening. So, how does Comcast play into this overall Charter and Disney conversation, especially as Comcast has its, you know, looming uh, Hulu put with Disney coming up? And then finally, and then I want to head it back over to you, Jason, because I'm very curious in your thoughts. You know, finally, I, I said this in in a recent puck piece. I think there is, you know, the analogy I really like to use about what's happening is the idea of a large mall in the ma- in the middle of a major city, right? And so, when you had the mall at full capacity in 2011, every single storefront was rented out. It was this really thriving place for 100 million customers who came in every single day. And slowly, you started seeing shops put up uh, going out of business signs, and those tended to come. From a lot of the entertainment companies who said we're going to go launch our own streaming services and we're going to direct all of our new product over to these streaming services. And the streaming services are effectively retailers, right? They're individual stores, maybe along a busy highway if you're a Netflix, maybe on a more deserted pathway if you're a Peacock or a Paramount Plus. But the idea is that these are a standalone store and that we're hoping we can bring some of those customers who are driving to the mall every day Twins then go uh, go to a store, kind of alongside side the the, the the road, and we get more of that direct connection with those with those um, customers. And so we're not really paying this tax that would come from being in the mall. And so when we look at the mall today, with all those going out of business signs, the ones that are really left thriving are these sports networks and the sports leagues that that are, are available via these sports networks. And so what you kind of have happening is Disney saying we're going to take this and we're going to go launch our own island of sorts. We're going to go launch this and we're going to hope that we can convert, you know, 30, 40, 50% of the foot traffic that's going to this mall and bring them over to the storefront. And what you're kind of seeing from Charter, so this is, you know, Disney's a company that kind of has everything to lose on this bet, especially as sports rights increase because they're inflated because of the, uh, the, the, ma- the, the massive success that Disney saw through its relationship with companies like Comcast and Charter and the ESPN network. Disney has everything to lose and Charter, who's kind of been the small owner for, you know, decades is saying, we've been told for years that everybody is going to do their shopping online. And so we've been prepared to go the way of the dinosaur. We've kind of been seeing this coming and we've started looking at renting out our parking lot space as a more lucrative business with less overhead costs. And we're looking at other ways that we can monetize this, this, this relationship we have with those people who are still driving and going to stores. And so that's a really tough place to be. Because on the one hand, you have a company willing to risk everything uh, uh, theoretically, right? Based on everything we know so far, willing to risk risk everything on the goal of being a supplier and a distributor. And you have one company who's kind of saying, we're willing to lose this part of our business that's very lucrative to us still, but you know still decaying and we'll make it up in, in other ways through partnerships with other companies. And it's really tough to fight someone who's willing to say, we're just going to give in on this with someone who's saying this is now the future of our business in many ways. So, but I'm
0: curious in your thoughts, Jason. Yeah, it is. It's obviously very complicated. Um, I just trying to pick some things out here. I, I, I feel like the analysis that Lucas Shaw gave at Bloomberg is smart because he's like, look, both of these companies have a lot to lose. And generally, when two companies that have a lot to lose are negotiating, they will find a way to win, at least in part. But what gives me pause is it feels to me like this is an emperor has no clothes moment Mm -hmm. where the reason ESPN has been so lucrative is because of the dollar per subscriber, whether you watch it or not. That's been part of the cable model that has evolved over the last 40 years, really. And it only has leverage when the cable company feels like they've got no other option. But at this point, Charter could very easily just say to their subscribers, look, if you don't want to use us for TV, Go get YouTube TV, and then you get all the ESPN you want. But it's not on our TV package right now. Like I have AT and T fiber, and they offer a TV package that's not very good. But they don't care. They're mm-hmm. they, you know they they know that I'm you can just go to Hulu or Fubo or YouTube or you know it, it's fine, and they don't care because I'm paying them for the internet. And Charter has to be looking at its business and saying, in the long run, our business is broadband connectivity, not. Reselling. Maybe there's a nice side business reselling a TV bundle to people who don't want to shop around or whatever. And maybe it includes streaming services in the long run. I think they think it does, which is why they're talking to Disney about including Disney Plus, the ad version, in their bundle. So that is what I find fascinating is it is Charter sort of saying, you know, maybe that they're willing to just say beyond a certain point, we'll just call it and say we're an internet provider and we're not going to hand every one of our customers who has our TV product over to you because it, it, it's not worth it. And we would rather um walk away and let our subscribers go to YouTube TV for their TV, because in the end, they're all going to be broadband subscribers, not TV subscribers. Exactly. That's the truth. The truth of whatever happens this year, whatever happens this weekend, even with this, these negotiations, the truth is that in five or 10 years, Charter is a, a, a an IP provider and maybe has that bundle on the side that is a nice to have little, makes it easy, right? Bundles are good. They can offer them, but they, it's not necessary anymore. So that's, that's, what i find fascinating because like espn abc and espn and disney like they they need to make that disney needs to make a deal i think that allows them to continue defying gravity for a little while more than anything else because the moment that this just falls apart and a cable provider just says we don't need espn anymore we just don't care i feel like that that (laughs) they they better have that that uh, over the top espn service ready to go soon because the air will come out of the balloon at that point in terms of their revenue
1: and this is something that we've talked about often in in sports corner but To use another analogy, and I'm sorry I'm using so many analogies, but I like to think of it off – you know, we've talked about this a lot. This idea of a bridge, right? They're all on – they're all in the middle of the bridge at this point. They're all – they've left behind the pay TV system that was really safe and stable. And if you kind of picture a Disney movie, it's like the really shiny castle area. And across the bridge is a really dark forest, but they can envision something that they can build. And even – for them, an even better, bigger, shinier city. Right. And so they're in the middle of this bridge, still a forest. And they're in the middle. And what they're saying is that we need enough planks of wood and we need enough food and water. It's a really long bridge. OK, they're there for days. They're, we needed all of these things. We need to uh, make sure that there's no fires on here so that we can cross safely. And so what Jason is saying is, do we if we get rid of this affiliate revenue and we do we have enough revenue? for This is what he's saying. Well, like they need to be able to launch the OTT service. Do we have enough revenue to make up for that lack of affiliate revenue to continue paying our basic bills? That's one of the the questions too. Do we have, uh, are we sure that we're going to be able to convert 15, 20% of this audience? You know, is that going to happen? Three, are we going to have enough money to pay increasing sports rights? And something I write about often with Puck and I often tell clients is the benefit of paying the socialist tax within the pay TV bundle was that you could come out and say, we have some of the sports, we've got a good portion of the sports you want, right? ESPN does not own football. They own a very strong day of football. ESPN does not own every NBA game. They own very crucial NBA games, which they can then simulcast on ABC for Disney. So if you look at it, if you're a, a customer of the PTV bundle, you could say, well, I don't mind paying the extra dollar 50 right? that they're going to take kind of me per month for in order to have access to all these different networks because I want all of the sports. And Having all of the sports means that I'm going to pay for ESPN. And at the time, right back in the day, NBC Sports, I'm going to pay for TNT. I'm going to pay for all these different networks. And what's slowly happening as a lot of these suppliers, so that's the ESPNs, the TNTs, the, the 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 NBCs, is as they pull back, they're saying, well, we're going to be the distributor ourselves. Well, now the question is, not only do you, you need to have most of what I want from all the leagues that I want throughout the course of the year, but you better have some of the best games. Because let's say you are Amazon and you have Thursday night football, you don't have great games. People watch because it's football. God knows I'll watch tonight, right? I'll watch every Thursday on Amazon if that's where it is. Like I will watch it. But if the games aren't as good and if you're not as interested, you might say, well, and and, and you're not tied to Amazon Prime, right? In this situation, it's an ESPN OTT that you're paying $35, $40 a month for. You might think, okay, well, they don't really have any games I'm super interested in over the course of the NFL season. They don't have the majority of, let's say, NHL games, whatever it may be. They have some NBA games I'm interested in. But I, as a 25 to 35 year old uh, viewer, if I'm a hardcore sports fan, I want the I'm paying for the pay TV bundle, anyways, or I'm paying for a Fubo TV, which I know Jason does throughout the course of the year, because I want access to certain RSNs or I want access to to certain to, to the to the uh, amount of channels that I need to watch the majority of games. So I'm going to go in that direction. I think it's very smart that Charter's is referring people to YouTube TV right now. Disney is referring people to Hulu with Live TV. And of course, each has their own issues in terms of blackouts, in terms of uh-huh. what channels they can carry. Each has their strains in terms of pricing and other networks, but they're really pushing people in that direction. I think for Charter to say, we can be a referral for YouTube and be a partner with Google in that space as we figure out our broadband and our wireless business and find new ways to monetize on this IP that we want to carry, pretty smart. And so for Disney, now there's this question of how much of this do you own and how much is that going to cost you? I think what's really funny about this this conversation we're having, Jason, is when I was looking at some of the partners Disney was reportedly talking to for um, equity deals for ESPN in order to kind of keep it going forward and, and launch OTT, a big one was Verizon. Right, and Verizon is—you you kind of get where they're coming from. They've had a deal with Verizon to help them with their Disney Plus subscriptions. It's tied to people's wireless and uh, plans in many ways, and so you're kind of saying, well, there's already a lot of Verizon customers, and this might be a way for Verizon to come in and really get their hands within sports uh monetization and get their hands within this. Aside from just sponsorship, which of course Verizon does across many leagues, and I think there's this aspect of well, we don't see Charter. Within the same purview, Charter is a cable, a video provider, and we think we can go to Verizon, we can have a better equity deal with that, but Charter is our distributor. And what Charter and Comcast are actively looking at, because they've been told for the last 15 years, and now they're really seeing it speed up, is that your business is going to decline, you better find a new business. Well, now they're looking at wireless, which has, again, those potentially really strong high margins, broadband, which already has strong margins, and they're saying, okay, well, how can we just reassess where people's attention is being driven and how can we monopolize the relationship between the customer and the pipeline as Disney tries to become a pipeline, but really is looking at the supply side of that equation still and doesn't have the money it needs to be a core distributor just yet. This really is a game of who can hold out more, who can get to that <laughs> edge of the runway before taking off. And I think a lot of people look at look at Disney and say, well, they're you know the stronger uh, – um, fighter in this fight. And I think it's really difficult to say, you know, who's stronger. I I, th- I would think it'd be a fool to try and, and position it. But I think there, again, there's that really almost inane behavioral aspect of one company who has everything riding on how the next few years play out and, and ensuring that they have the revenue stock, uh, the, well, the cash stocked up as well as the uh games stocked up as well as the consumer base stocked up to go and be a distributor when they launch with with some of their partners and I think you have one company who said we've been aware that this is coming for a while, if this is kind of how it goes down, and we can care we can keep some of those subscribers around by offering cheaper packages and we figure out a way to go about that route while we figure out our wireless and broadband business. It's really difficult to argue with somebody who's kind of saying, we've assumed we've been dead for a minute, uh, so this is just another, you know, chip in it, as opposed to a company saying, we're really trying to be reborn in, in a lot of different ways.
0: Yeah, I, the other thing is, you know, executives aren't always provided the incentive to manage for the long term. They're Mm -hmm. managing for the short term and they make bad decisions sometimes for the long term in order to try to keep their jobs or keep their stock prices up. And I I look at that here and I see that because it's very clear where this is going, right? Disney knows that in the end primarily the way people are going to pay for espn is directly or it'll be in a bundle somewhere but it won't be a cable bundle that is not optional because the you either take it or you don't world of, of video is over it's it's going to be over on five or ten years whatever it's over so it's going to be what they didn't ever want which is you get to choose whether you want to pay for espn or not and they don't like that put it in a bundle with some other stuff they might make uh, less money uh, than they would on each individual subscriber. But if there are more people in the bundle, they make their money back. But it's it it still is uh money you have to it's a it's a bundle you have to opt into. And a lot of people are going to be paying direct. That's the truth of it. But I think they're always hoping that there's going to be a nice, uh, ironically, linear de- de- degradation of that market. And instead, it may be one of those things. It's that classic. Hemingway thing, you know, you go bankrupt very slowly and then all uh, uh, very suddenly, I think is what he said. That that seems to be what's going on here. Whereas from Charter's perspective, like if you look out into the future, what do you think it's going to be? Is that, yeah, you'll have a bundle that you'll sell. It'll be optional. Like it makes perfect sense. The only problem is that that they want to still have that video revenue, presumably in the in the long or in the short term. And Disney doesn't want to come crashing to Earth. They would rather a, a slow glide down. So how do they work it out? My guess is they will work it out in a way that uh, kicks the can down the road a little bit. But I don't know. I feel like this, maybe not, maybe not, because a lot of carriage disputes just kind of blow away with the wind. But this feels like, A change where the we're really starting to see the weight shift from the way it used to be to a completely different set of priorities. And we all knew this was going to happen, but it's still another thing to see it actually playing out in real time. And it does feel like this is going to be one of those. Uh, moments that you mark on the calendar and say, this is, this really did accelerate the business changes that were required from companies that were counting on that, you know, huge amounts of money from the cable bundle. Yes. That's fascinating. Well, we'll watch... We'll report back by the time we do another. So just to peer behind the curtain, our next episode is going to be pre-taped. So we will be back um, live with newsy things in in a month. By then, who knows what will have happened? Maybe the world will have ended. Let's hope not. But um,
1: I, I I just want to throw in a, yeah. a, a note because I've, I've been thinking about this because I live with Kevin, who's a Jets fan. Mm. And I think I just wanted to say it is the most Jets like situation that the first time in years the Jets have a chance of really being a team people are looking at, to the point that it has an 8 p.m. game on Monday night. Monday night night football, yeah. That Disney is telling a bunch of Spectrum people, you might not be able to watch this game. I just think it's the most Jets moment to ever happen in the Jets of Jets. And so my heart goes out to you, but also I can imagine that you're also going, yeah, this feels right for a Jets fan.
0: At the same time, I mean if this carriage disputes used to be a problem because people had no al- alternative right that was yeah. the whole thing about the carriage dispute is if if disney withholds espn there's no way for you to see the game and that's already gone right like just get hulu or youtube tv right just get one of these other packages and you can see it and yeah you have got you got to pay but your cable company isn't holding you hostage and that's Part of the whole dynamic here is that, you know, they literally they can just say, go to YouTube TV if you really want to watch Monday Night Football. Maybe they never come back, but they're still paying charter for their internet, at least for now. So yeah. that's the because that's the real monopoly that these cable companies have, especially and broadband companies in general, is they've got all of the wires in the ground. And although broadband wireless is kind of a thing, it's not at the level of, uh, you know, having a fiber connection no. or a cable connection into your house. Yeah. And that that's where they're going to make their money. All right. Uh, let's take a uh, brief break uh, for a sponsor. This episode of Downstream is brought to you by Electric. When you're leading a small business, it's not all glamour, let me tell you. <laughs> In fact, sometimes it's a matter of spending hours onboarding an employee, which you're well-equipped to deal with, but maybe you don't have the time. The team over at Electric knows small businesses, maybe like yours, and how they face these challenges. That's why they're on hand to help with time-consuming parts of your business, like standardized device security with best-in-class device management software so you can implement best practices across the board and be ready to scale. Employee onboarding and offboarding done for you, saving you an average of eight hours per request. Plus, Electric will help you keep a single point of visibility into your IT environment to control your devices, networks, and applications, while simplified reporting allows you to achieve and maintain compliance And proactive IT recommendations and automated workflows make it easy to manage your IT, even if you're not technical. And look, if you're hearing this and think your company could use some of these services, but you're not sure where to start, Electric's experts will guide you through the process of establishing standardized IT processes for your organization. For downstream listeners, Electric is offering a free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones. How about that? For taking a qualified meeting uh, free pair of Beats headphones. Just go to electric.ai slash downstream. That's electric.ai slash downstream. Go there now to get your free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones today for scheduling a meeting. Thanks to Electric for supporting downstream. All right, let's do some letters before we go. Really quick, we have some sports letters, so let's do them. Jim says... These aren't all questions. Some of these are are just comments. I like that. Jim says, U.S. open ad inventory is sold out. Coverage runs on ABC, ESPN, and ESPN+. This is tennis, which is just concluding as we record this. It's a strength of the current Disney construct, which includes network on ABC, ESPN, and streaming with the ESPN Plus product. Selling off... ABC or ESPN kills this equation love to your mother's Jim in the 615 it is true it is an advantage that Disney has right now is they mm-hmm. have this whole stack but as we've been talking about in this episode the danger is that the stack doesn't matter over time but right now it's it is I mean and, and when we talked about you mentioned the Phoenix Suns deal like the idea of having broadcast because broadcast is like common denominator sort of like broadcast is the equivalent of free uh, is is a fast streaming right it's just it's just like it's free and there are ads on on it and just watch it and and broadcast has that advantage
1: yeah
0: uh kurt uh writes and says uh question for your sports corner show as an american premier league fan to follow my favorite team requires five sources on four subscriptions yeah cable or a streaming provider uh, for USA Network and NBC. This is what I just said. Peacock for Premier League games not on USA or NBC. Paramount Plus for Champions, Europa Conference League games, and ESPN Plus for League Cup and FA Cup matches. Do you think that the predicted future consolidation of streaming services will reduce that number, and if so, how?
1: Um, so, it's a good question. There's uh two pathways. One, so I see what you're saying. One is like if Comcast were to merge NBC Universal with paramount plus let's say that's probably likely not going to happen i think they're more closer to wbd but let's say that happens you know would peacock and paramount plus and merge into one platform and then bring a lot of those rights over and so you'd have one platform that has more games that makes a ton of sense to me um that's that that may happen that's really reliant on the right companies merging um Mm. the other side of it is what the leagues want And so the leagues are a little bit more into divvying up where they can have the most reach. That's important. So that's where that linear system really still comes into play, but also where they can find revenue. So the more that you have Apples and Amazons and who knows, Jason, I basically shot down Netflix, but maybe a Netflix Dazzin, right? Like these tech guys come into play and say they want more rights. At some point, if you're the league, you're going – Well, we know that our hardcore fans will come and we don't think we're alienating too many casual fans. Also, like uh, one of the messy games was on Pluto TV. So you got fast coming into play. What I will say, uh, I had a conversation with someone, I won't say who, but they were an exec at at a league. And I asked, does it bother you guys or or, or we can run sentiment analysis effectively um, to see how divvying up games might affect sentiment for fans. And this executive said to me, Oh, we know that they don't like it, but they go but they to where the games are. And so for them, they're kind of thinking, how do we get through this transition with enough money to pay our, our, our players not get into like fights or issues with that? So yeah, th- those are the two pathways I see.
0: Uh, yeah, I think uh, one thing that Kurt mentions here is the, the NBC Universal thing. That's a thing that I think is going to change because I think Comcast in the long run is going to realize that their linear is additive. And that they're not going to get a lot of people to pay for uh, a, a cable package just to watch those two games and that they're better off also putting them on Peacock because that that makes Peacock more valuable. But that's going to take time because it's going to, they're a very cable, you know, they're a cable company. But I I feel like that's the more likely scenario is that at some point they're going to give up the the strategy of, aha, but two games are on USA and NBC and can't be seen on Peacock. Because, like I said before, people are just going to drop cable. They're just going to do it anyway. They're not going to do it for just a couple of games. And you want people to pay for Peacock. So make Peacock look really good. As an alternative for Premier League fans, instead of saying, nope, two random games a week will be unavailable unless you pay $70 a month for Fubo or YouTube TV. It seems, or or our preference, Comcast, uh, you know, I, I think that 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 stuff is going to fade away. Um, yeah, but maybe slower in the case of Comcast, because they are the they're playing with their own money, their house's money. Uh, Craig wrote in and this is a good one. Um, good observation. Craig says, do you think in the fullness of time, the same thing will happen to ESPN, Fox, et cetera, linear football rights that has happened to regional sports network rights? It seems inevitable that the same forces will make the current conference contracts untenable and the rights will be walked back or some similar such cataclysm will occur. And then the choice the Pac-12 made to pass on the Apple deal will look even more spectacularly foolish than it already does. Love to your mothers, Craig. So Pac-12, by the way, they didn't all pass on the Apple deal. What happened is that Oregon and Washington got snapped up. Uh, by the Big Ten, which is Fox money. Fox agreed to pay to get them out of there, and they knew what would happen after that, which is that most of them would go to the Big Twelve, which is also a Fox contract, and they are able to kind of go, boom, <laughs> you, you, we've blown up your whole uh, your whole system here, and Apple doesn't get to make a deal and buy into this. But I, what I like about Craig's observation here, Julia, is. I There's been a lot of talk that while there's this assumption among the college football conferences that the prices only go up, there are people who are starting to look at that Apple failed deal with the Pac-12 and saying, do the prices really go up or do they not? Like, for everybody, that if, if a conference leaving aside when they all kind of turn into a super conference with relegation or whatever of college football. But in the short run, when these conferences are coming up for renewal in later this decade, uh, it was always viewed that the ACC, which has rights sold to ESPN until 2036, I think an unreal yeah. year that is somehow not too far away um, that they were losers because the other conferences were going to get to make new deals in the 2020s. But there is an argument to be made that that money's not going to be there like it was because it was based on this old model, ESPN getting $8 per subscriber, that's just not going to be there anymore. And I don't know whether that's the case or not. It probably overstates it. But I do think there's a, a point that Craig is making here that is a good one, which is a lot of the economic assumptions, which were price only goes up. Maybe proven wrong in this decade because of all the other changes going on.
1: Yeah, I also think that... So the, the interesting thing about RSNs is that local is still so important, but who local is important to and at what cost is changing. So like, for example, we know that fast tends to perform really well in terms of creating habit due to local news. So you could look at fast... Uh, platforms so as your pluto tvs your tubies and say like could rsns live within there um and, and do their own thing and find like you know maybe an audience size that's really helpful and they can charge high advertising but they're not going to be able to make the money that they're used to making and that becomes a huge issue when rsns are a mean uh supply of revenue to the teams so that's like okay. Well, now the yeah. teams are taking a hit, and how does that affect their players? How does that affect with their ability to invest in the in the stadiums, whatever it might be? Like, how does how does that happen? So that's a really rough call. Um, there's an argument. I've made this argument before. I think that Amazon would be really interested in local because Amazon has its big retail business, mm-hmm. and so being able to hyper target retail on local games uh, and also open up the amount of people coming in at one given time for an advertising component would be really strong for Amazon. So I think that might happen. So, yeah, I think you look at the Amazons, you look at the fast, the fact that linear is still powerful in some capacity. I just think that when you look at what YouTube TV has done, kind of proven that there's a really strong base for a more national size audience where RSNs aren't as um, important to the base that they're searching for, which is a much smaller base compared to what they would have to charge to kind of carry them, et cetera, et cetera. The RSNs are a really tricky boat. And then, you know, the last part about this, too, is you listen to a lot of people go like, oh, well, can they go the way of yes, right? You know, the Yankees um, uh, RSN has its own streaming service. I think this household that I'm in, thanks to Kevin, pays like 30 bucks a month for it. um, And it is on in my house all the time now. Uh, and I think you can look at a few markets. The Dodgers are a good market. The Red Sox are a good market where that can happen. And especially when you look at the 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 idea of bundling a lot of RSNs in those markets, like the idea of having, you know, the Yankees and the Rangers within one RSN is probably a really great deal because most Yankees fans are Rangers fans. You know, Red Sox and um, – I was going to say the Devils. That is not – it's 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 the Bruins. I'm so sorry, Boston and New Jersey fans. But um, if you look at, you know, Celtics and, and Bruins or Celtics – Um, and Red Sox, you know, there, there, there's some overlap there where you can come together and say we're a big enough market that we might be able to do this. But a lot of the other markets, like the Phoenix Suns and everything that's happening with them or, or the, the Arizona Diamondbacks, like they're smaller markets. They can't carry it as much. Um, and so then you get into this question of do the RSNs care more about, reach so that way they can reach the next level of a fan and, and find out ways to increase their revenue in other ways and kind of go over the air that is the hardest question like sports on the by their owner complex but regional sports are just next level complex and and I I, I wish that Jason and I had the answer because we would be making a lot of money oh, man yeah um but but we don't and I I don't I everyone I talk to I'm not sure anyone really does and the only thing I can encourage is that these companies like the, the, the RSNs themselves the carriers and the teams, Um, come together and and share their data and just try to figure something else out.
0: All right. I think that brings us to the end of this episode. If you have a question for us, visit downstreamfeedback.com. Love to your mothers. We really appreciate it. If you are not a Downstream Plus subscriber, this will bring you to the end of the show. In the Downstream Plus version, we discussed Fox and Comcast streaming sports strategy. We discussed Netflix and whether it will ever do... Live sports, and we had a bunch of letters. Uh, every other episode, most of the show is available just for supporters to support us, and a bunch of you do. Uh, we got some new stats on that. Thank you so much. Uh, go to downstream.plus. You'll get full versions of every episode, access to the awesome Relay FM Discord, bonus shows from Relay FM, and a lot more. All right, that is it for this time. We'll be back in two weeks for a pre recorded episode of Downstream. But until then, say goodbye, Julia.
1: Bye, guys.